0: Isaiah 58. I invite you to turn there. Page 600 in your pew Bibles, page 600. You're going to find it helpful to have it open as we go through. And also, um, we have something cool today. We have a spoken word artist on recording doing this passage. She's somebody that uh, was here on Tuesday night when Urban Doxology was here. Some of you were able to go to that concert. Um, and so we're going to listen to the text as she reads it, and then she'll do every now and then, she'll do a little bit of a riff on it, kind of like the Amplified Bible version of it. So, um, so let's listen together and read together Isaiah 58.
1: Cry loud, shout, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. They seek me daily and delight to know my ways. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? They act like righteous people that would never abandon the word of God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Why aren't you impressed? Here's why. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. You fast, but you argue and fight over small things. You fast, but you attack those who don't think and act like you. This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere. You go through the motions, bowing your heads like plants, bending in the wind, dressed in clothes for morning. Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to God. This is the kind of fast I'm after. To break the chains of injustice. To lighten the burdens, to free the oppressed, to cancel the debts, to share your food with the hungry, give shelter to the homeless, to clothe those who need it. Don't turn away from your own flesh and blood. They are your family. Then, your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing will quickly appear. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of God will go behind you. You will call and God will answer. You will cry for help and God will sing. Remove the heavy burden of oppression. Do away with the gossip and finger pointing. Feed the hungry. Help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness. Your shadow lives will be bathed
0: This is the word of the Lord. So imagine this scenario. It's a lovely morning. You're just opening your eyes. You can tell already that it's a sunny day. You've slept well. You feel good. You feel ready to face the day. And then you have this thought. Oh, It's Sunday. And then you start to have this kind of a conversation in your head. Am I going to go to church today? And you kind of do the pros and the cons. Well, I've got a ride. I've got people to go with. In fact, I could go to people to an early service or late service. I've got options there. It's not raining out, so that's really handy. I don't have to worry about that piece of this. So I've got a place to go. I've got transportation. I've got people. And then you start to think this. I hope they don't sing one song for seven or eight minutes. I just hate that. I hope the regular preacher is preaching and not a sub because I hate it when the subs are on. I hope they don't have baptism or communion because then the service is like blah, 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 blah. I hope somebody talks to me. I hope nobody talks to me. And you get up and you get dressed and you go and you go through what you're supposed to do and you sing one song you know and two songs you don't. And you shake hands with strangers and you pass the basket and you listen to a sermon and you get a blessing and you walk out. And have you ever had this thought kind of run through your mind? I got nothing out of that. And then we started to think, is it worth it? I mean, is it worth it, haul yourself out of the warm bed, miss that second cup of coffee, schlep on over with people, mingle with people you don't really know very well and aren't really interested in? It's all kind of awkward and, you know, the music is okay. I mean, is it worth it? Is it worth it to do this thing week in and week out and think, I'm getting nothing out of this? This is doing nothing for me. It's a good question. That's an old question. It's the question that the people were asking here in Isaiah 58. They're like, hey, you know, we're doing all the right things. We are seeking after God, we are delighting in his heart, we are pursuing him and asking him questions for his judgment. I mean, we are checking off the boxes of worship. So why are we getting nothing out of this? Why is it that we are fasting and you're not doing anything? I mean, we are humbling ourselves, God, and we are getting nothing for this. Come on. You know, we're doing all the things. Isn't it, isn't it supposed to be that when we worship you and you're supposed to do stuff for us, isn't that the way it's supposed to go? Like, have I... Give up food and fast, shouldn't you give me good things? Isn't that the way this is supposed to work? And God hears that question and he listens to it and he says, No, <laughs> no, 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 yet, nine, nada, no. That is not the way it's supposed to work. He says, when did all of this become about you? When exactly did that happen? When did I become a giant vending machine in the sky and if you just fill me with the right quarters of worship and prayer and fasting that I would just give you what you wanted? When did that happen exactly? I love how it's translated here in the Bibles we have in the pews. Verse 3. Look. You serve your own interest on fast day. You oppress all your workers. Look! You fast only to quarrel and fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Is such the fast I choose a day to humble oneself? Is it to bow down your head like a bulrush? To lie about in sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? This is all about you. This is about you trying to get me to do stuff. I'm not interested in that. This is what I'm interested in. You doing stuff with me. That's what I'm interested in. Is this not that fast I choose, he says, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the throngs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke, to share your food, to clothe those who are in need, to bring them into your homes, to not turn away, as the recording said, from your own flesh and blood? This is what I'm interested in, says God. This is what worship is about. Worship is about aligning your hearts with my heart. Worship is about learning to love the things that I love. Worship is about coming together and remembering the covenant promises that we have made to each other and saying, yes, we're going to do that again. Worship isn't about what you're going to get. Worship is about going all in and saying, I'm in with this God. Because the problem with the people of Israel has been now for generations that they've made it all about them. It's been all about them for a long time. Their ways, what they want, when they want it, how they want it. The text in Isaiah we've talked about before, it names these little idols that they've put up in different places and times. But you know who the biggest idol was for them? Them. They were their biggest idol. They were the ones who bowed down to themselves, what I want matters. If my needs aren't being met, then I'm just gonna go to something else. And so God is saying to them once again, guys, your idolatry is going to kill you. Every time you make it about you, you are setting yourself up to die. And I don't want that for you. I want you to flourish. I want you to thrive. I want you to live. As one commentator says, so here in Isaiah 58, God doesn't give a job description like you need to do the following things. I will evaluate you at the end of the year, give you a professional development report, and tell you how you're doing. It's not a job description. It's a doctor's prescription. You are sick, God is saying. You have been sick. That's why you're in exile. I want to get you healthy. I want to get you healthy. Because when your heart is aligned with my heart and you love the things that I love and we are working in tandem, in covenant, out there in the world, this is what happens. Verse 8. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, Here I am. You see, when you've spent your days thinking about the poor and the hungry, thinking about people who are in need right around you, When you've shaped your days for six days around other people, by the time you get to Sabbath, who are you bringing into church with you? All of those other people. You've shaped your entire week, your entire life, around how to love the things that God loves and serve the people that God wants you to serve. And when you get into worship on Sunday, your heart is full of them and it's longing for God there's no place for you. That's what God wants. He's like, I want you to so shape your lives around looking out for other people that when we get together on Sunday, you're bringing all those people in with you and you're pleading with them before me and you're rejoicing in their successes and you are so concerned about how everyone else is doing that your own ego has no room, doesn't even get to come in the room. And the fact that the band is a little bit off or the organ is too loud or the preacher goes on too long, that so doesn't matter. Because you're like, I am in this place and I'm getting my heart aligned with God's heart. And I'm surrounded by beautiful fallen people. Yay. God wants to bless his people in worship. He wants to honor their prayer and their fasting. That's what this is about. And he still wants to do that. God still wants to honor our worship and our fasting and our prayer. He deeply desires that. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we how do we kind of get our hearts aligned? so that we can do these things that God asks us to do. Well, some of you know that there's a semester in Hungary. It's happening right now. And if you've been paying attention to the news, you know that a lot of the Syrian refugees are going right through Hungary in order to get to wherever they may eventually end up. Our students, Calvin College students, have been going to the train stations, they've been sitting with people, they've been hearing their stories, they've been playing with their children, they've been helping the Red Cross distribute things. Can our dear Calvin students, as wonderful as they are, because they're like you and you're wonderful, as wonderful as they are and they could be watching right now, shout out to Hungary, can they solve all the problems of the Syrian refugee crisis? No, I mean, they're amazing, but they're not that amazing. Can they feed all the Syrian refugees who are coming through, even with the Red Cross's help? No. But are they stepping out from their own space and their own needs as students and saying, I'm going to spend a day at the train station. I don't know who I'm going to meet there, but that's where I'm going to be. That's where people are in need. That's where I'm going to be. Now you think, if you spent some time with Syrian refugees over the course of the week and you went in to worship on Sunday, do you think you would be as concerned about the type of worship or the style of worship or the quality of the preaching? Or do you think you would be bringing in with you into worship the joys and concerns and struggles and sorrows of all those people? And you would be laying them before God and saying, I feel so inadequate. There is so much need. Please, God, do something. Move here or open my eyes to what I can do. That's how worship is supposed to work. Is supposed to shape us so that we take the things of our week, the places where we served, the hurts and the joys of our brothers and sisters and bring them before the face of God and say, Lord, this is so not about me. This is all about you. This text talks a lot about fasting. Some of you may come from traditions that fast. Some of you may not. If you want to learn more about it, Richard Foster's excellent book, Celebration of Discipline, has a chapter on fasting. If you're in a dorm right now, your Barnabas has a copy. Borrow it. Otherwise, uh, get it out of the library. Celebration of Discipline, if you want to learn more about fasting. So I didn't grow up in a fasting tradition, and I tried it a few times, and I thought, this is so not my spiritual discipline. This is not my thing at all. You know, I get hangry. I'd be crabby at people. I'd be like, I do not think I am imitating Jesus right now. (laughs) But a few years ago, a friend of mine was diagnosed with cancer. And as I was praying for him, right after he'd been diagnosed, I sensed that the Holy Spirit was saying to me, you need to fast for him one day a week. And I thought, oh, that's not a good idea. That's not. Are you sure? Are you sure? Is there someone else? So I thought, all right. So I looked at my weekly calendar, and Wednesday was a day that was relatively quiet. And I thought, all right, Wednesday's going to be my day. I'm going to fast on Wednesday. And I'd read Richard Foster's book, so I had some good tools about how to do this. And you know what? It turned out to be the easiest fast I've ever done. I fasted from him from the time of his first treatment until the doctor said he was all clear. And it was the easiest fast I've ever done because it was not about me. It wasn't about me trying to be more pious or develop some big spiritual discipline so I can drop in a conversation, you know, so I fast occasionally. <laughs> it wasn't about me trying to, you know, negotiate my self-will and develop really good discipline against eating food at certain times of the day. As I fasted and prayed for him, it became all about him and lifting him up to God and praying for his wife and his kids and praying for his future and praying that he would see his grandchildren grow. And it was the easiest fast I've ever done because I was so out of it. And I actually got to the point, this would have surprised me like crazy 10 years ago, I actually got to the point I would wake up on Wednesday and go, oh, fast day, great. Like that is not a Mary Hall's thing to say. That is a Holy Spirit thing to say. So think about this. Listen to the Spirit. Maybe the Lord's inviting you to spend a day fasting for your RA. Or maybe the cause of justice is really important to you, and he's saying, I want you to fast one day a week for all the people right here in Grand Rapids who are victims of sex trafficking. Or I want you to fast today for the poor. I want you to lift these people up. Now I know for some of you, you're like, okay, not in Hungary. Can't do the Syrian refugee thing. And some of you are like, not so sure about the fasting thing. And it can feel really intimidating when we read this passage of Scripture about clothing the naked and feeding the hungry and taking the homeless in. And we're in a season of life where it's like, I don't even have a home, technically speaking, and you know, don't have a lot to give away and kind of a lean time in my life. How, how do I do this? Well, let me tell you a story that one of you told to me a few years ago. This student, whom I'll call Rachel, was having a bad day. You know what I'm talking about? One of those days where you're like, if one more thing happens, I'm going to lose my mind. One of those kind of days. And she was being, you know, a good doobie, and she was going to all her classes, and one of them happened to be women's chorale. And she she was doing her thing and singing her song and doing the stuff. And she didn't really notice that other people had any awareness of what was happening in her until that night, she's in her dorm and there's a knock on her door and there's a, someone from Women's Corral, whom she kind of knew but wasn't tight with, someone from Women's Corral standing there with a pint of ice cream and a spoon. <laughs> and this person said to her, you look sad and when I'm sad, I need ice cream. So." Here's some ice cream. Okay, thanks, bye. (laughs) That is a person who has shaped her life to pay attention to the needs of other people and think, this is a person in need. How do I get to respond? What can I do in this moment to make this person's burden a little lighter? How do I step in and show this person that they are cared for and loved and precious? How do I get to do that? Now, this is a person who has shaped her life so much that she can see somebody else singing in choir, not know the person well and think, that person needs hope, that person needs help, that person needs ice cream. <laughs> That's somebody I want to be in worship with. Right? That's somebody I want to be in worship with because anytime I get a little ego-driven, a little, little sucked into the black hole of it's all about me, she's going to be just all out. And she's going to be bringing up other people before the face of God. And I want to be with her. And I want to be that kind of person. I want to be that kind of person. And you know what? Our culture tells us that worship is all about us. And it's going to take so much for us on Sunday mornings to get up and say, It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. It's not about me. Sing whatever song you want, play whatever instrument you want. I am here in the house of the Lord. I'm going to align my heart with the things that God loves. I'm going to love the people who are in this space. And you know what happens when you do that? Your light breaks forth like the dawn. And the glory of the Lord becomes your rear guard, and the vindication goes before you. And when you call on the Lord, he's going to say, I'm right here, I'm right here, I'm right here. What do you need? I'm so proud of you. This is so awesome. What do you got going on? That's who we get to be. That's who God wants us to be. That it's so woven into our lives to pay attention to people in need that it just spills over into our worship. That's who we get to be. Some of you know that in Matthew 25, Jesus talks about the end of time. And he says, when the Son of Man comes in all his glory and all the angels with him, and he sits on his throne, he will gather the nations before him, and he will separate them out as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And to those on his right hand, to those who are righteous, he will say, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you before the foundations of the world. Because I was hungry, and you fed me, and I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink, and I was naked, and you clothed me, and I was sick and in prison, and you visited me. And what do the righteous do? They're like, "Uh, I don't think that was us. Was, were you? Did you, I don't remember doing that at all for you. because they have so shaped their lives around caring for those in need. And they don't even think about it as special. It's just who they are. So when Jesus calls them out and he says, yes, that's exactly who I want you to be, they're like, really, we did that? I don't even know. Okay, great. Because Jesus is looking at them and he's saying, you got it. You got it. You knew that just as God in Christ had done this for you, just as God in Jesus Christ moved toward you when you were poor and in need and stuck in sin and bound by chains, just as God and Christ had done this for you to set you free, you went and did that for other people. That's exactly right. That's exactly what we want you to do. And that's what feeds our worship of God because he has done this for us. And anytime we make it about us, that it's all about us, it's just idolatry that's just gonna lead to death. And so God says, look, I wanna bless you. I wanna inspire you, I wanna be with you. I want you on my team. I want us working in tandem together because you know what happens then. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you continually. Who needs that? He will satisfy your needs in parched places. He will make your bones strong. What a great image. You shall be like a watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. That's the promise. That's what God is holding out for us. That's what he's saying. This is what I want for you. This is who I want you to be. You can do this. You can do this because you are my covenant partners. You are my children. We can do this. So what do we get to do this week? Do we get to fast for somebody? Do we get to pray for somebody? Do we get to serve somebody? Do we get this week to bring somebody a pint of ice cream? We get to go and find out. And then we get to get back together and worship the God who made it all possible. Let's pray together. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God. For you are the one who clothed us when we were naked and fed us when we were hungry. And when no one else had regard for us, you did. And you picked us up and turned us around and set our feet on solid ground. And there's nothing we can do but give our whole selves to you. Lord, forgive our egos Forgive us when we go into worship thinking that it's all about us. And instead, Holy Spirit, work in us. It's hard and holy work, and we need it so much to become people who go into worship carrying others with us and looking for how you will respond. Thank you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for showing us how to do this and empowering us to do it. May we all give ourselves fully away to you, as you, Jesus, have done for us. In your name we pray. Amen.